the giant thinkers giant thinkers podcast hey guys welcome to the show I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. G'day, giants. It's Ram Castillo here, bringing to you episode number 38, recording this from Sydney, Australia. I'm officially back home after a whirlwind two-month USA tour as part of launching my second book, How to Get a Mentor as a Designer. I couldn't have done it without the AIJ chapters that hosted me, and of course, all of you that participated. In short, I visited 15 cities, delivered 20 talks, and met over 1,500 attendees. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. It was truly an honor. Do check out my Instagram for all the pictures of that journey. My handle is the giant thinker. Now, today's guest is the chief creative officer of Vayner Media, an advertising social media led marketing and communications agency founded by Gary Vaynerchuk with over 800 employees and counting. We know a lot about Gary, but to hear from the CCO of VaynerMedia is a rare gem. So rare, in fact, that this guest has never been interviewed on any podcast ever. I'm truly grateful to be the first, and I know you're going to find this both informative and entertaining. Some of the topics we spoke about include advice on how to generate better ideas faster, tips on which area of design or creativity to specialize in, insights on becoming a creative director, how to improve our intuition, and what it's like working for the hustle king himself, Gary V. Now, before we dive in, I want to introduce you to an affordable, easy to use email marketing software that's especially great for small businesses. I know that many listeners have asked me the question, which email service do I recommend to collect emails and broadcast weekly? It's not MailChimp, it's not Aweber, it's not ConvertKit, and it's not Infusionsoft. It's actually MailerLite. When I said affordable, MailerLite offer a free plan for up to 1,000 subscribers with no expiry date. You can use all the features including drag and drop, autoresponders, landing pages, tracking, and the mobile app. As a comparison, if you were to have up to 5,000 subscribers sending unlimited emails, that would cost you $20 per month with MailerLite, while MailChimp will charge you $50 per month. That's more than double. Now, whether you're a freelancer or work full-time and have a side hustle, or whether you run a large company, MailerLite can accommodate for you as they've done with their existing 200,000 plus customers in over 72 countries. Their customers include BMW, GoPro, FWA, Typeform, and Ikea, a testament to their world-class platform. Head to MailerLite.com to set up your free account. That's MailerLite.com. Alrighty, I won't keep you waiting any longer. I present to you the man leading VaynerMedia's creative team of titanic proportions, Steve Babcock. Steve Babcock, welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast, mate. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here because it's almost like uh, when I went to New York City for the first time. So for the listeners, we are in New York City. 
Manhattan. Uh, and when I first went to Manhattan uh, in 2013, everything was so familiar um, because of the movies and whatnot. And <laughs> VaynerMedia, which is where we are, seems all too familiar because of Gary V's Snapchat. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm super pumped to be here. It's got a great energy. First off, Steve, we have an icebreaker question for you. Okay. What is the song you hear in your head when you win a pitch? Um, <laughs> it's a funny question. I don't, I don't have a song in my head when I win a pitch, but for as long as I can remember, I mean, I don't know when this started, probably my whole career, and I've been doing this for 18 years. There is a song that, I get, that gets stuck in my head when I'm doing a pitch, like the pitch process, like... You know, because usually during a pitch, you're working a little bit later at night or you're rolling up your sleeves, you're tacking stuff up on the wall. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, um, Lover Boy, uh, that song, uh, everybody's working for the, working for the weekend. There you go. <laughs> it's like an 80s song. It just gets it, immediately. It'll just be like working on a pitch. Boom. That song gets in my head and I just sing it out loud for 15 years. <gasps> Unreal. I think there's some sort of psychological like disorder that I need to get into because <laughs> No, it's good. It's good. I um yeah, I have a, a very similar thing where where it kind of reaches a point of just like a uh, mix of excitement and lack of sleep. And um yeah, you, you gotta put some craziness in there. But then by the time the pitch is won, I like I'm just tired, so there isn't really a song. You know, I'm just like, if anything, it's probably like the Karate Kid theme song <laughs> from Joe Esposito. That uh, you're the best around. I'm an '80s kid, so and and I digress you, but you were actually in a uh, in a band. Yes, back in the day, was I was not the singer, as you can tell from that quick. <laughs> you could have fooled me. That was great. <laughs> um, so, Steve, where would you say your expertise lies? Uh, you know, it's interesting because that's evolved kind of over my career. And, and right now, that's something that like, I think I've always tried to figure out because I always felt like everyone around me had established their expertise. And I'm like, I'm just, I think I'm this, I'm thinking this, I'm thinking this. And, and maybe everybody is also trying to figure out their expertise. And I think it evolves. Right now, I would say where it, where it lies is my ability to organize sort of chaos for uh, to create like maximum efficiency so within an organization so here I'm the chief creative officer there are over 200 creatives in this department it's wow the biggest I've ever Gee, I've ever been a part lot. of yeah yeah when I when I got here I was like are you sure <laughs> no, I'm counting them I'm like yeah that's there's that many um, and so it's taking all of that talent and figuring out how do I create a system that can get that will allow each one of those individuals to be, you know, the most valuable and efficient and, and, and good at their jobs. So, um, so I think that's something that I never really knew I had in me before or that I would enjoy or that I take a lot of, uh, you know, I feel really good about. So I think now it really is in like creative direction mm -hmm. and like really helping take someone's idea and, uh, you know, add that part on top that they weren't thinking about or forecast in two months, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. So I'm going to move this person here. To, it's just, it's a very different world for me, but um, it feels a little more natural than I thought it would. 
There's there's so many things that's going through my head as you were answering that. So um, backtracking a bit. So VaynerMedia is is up to almost uh, eight eight hundred staff around the world. Um, uh, from what I've been told, uh, you know, up to five hundred and fifty uh, staff in New York uh, office now. Um, that's huge. And you just mentioned two hundred of those uh, creatives. When it comes to the incremental stages of one's career, from uh, being uh, whether you're a formally trained designer, art director, copywriter, whatever it is, uh, how how do you think listeners can gravitate more towards creative direction? Um, because what it sounds like in what you've just explained is there's a lot of people skills involved. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of time management involved. There's a lot of business thinking involved. Anything you can share around that? It's interesting, too, because the the traditional trajectory of someone in the creative field in advertising, so art, design, or writing, it's not logical because it assumes just because you're good at a craft, you know, design, you're a really good writer, as you you continue through your career, all of a sudden, it assumes that because you're good at that, you'll be good at creative direction. And in our world, where it is a, it's a client service industry, that, I mean, that all of a sudden is a whole other thing. It's like you have the ability to, you know, you definitely have to have presentation skills. You have to be able to get clients to, you know, show a lot of confidence in you. You have to be able to manage a team. You have to be empathetic. And it, it's, a, it's a completely different job. It requires the prerequisite of understanding how to do these things. Um, and so, you know, that's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, it just never has. Um, and, and I think, but I also, I also, you know, I always stress too, wherever, wherever I've been in my career, like it doesn't have to be that trajectory. Everyone's trajectory should be very based on what they want to do, mm. right? There's no, just because, oh, so that's what I don't like about it. I don't like the pressure that it puts on everyone that like, that's the, that's the only ladder that I can be on right. in this industry. It's like, I would rather have an associate creative director who, and, and I've got a few of them here and, I, and I, they're the best because it's like, no, 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 I don't ever want to stop this job. My passion is in getting briefs, solving them, creating the work, producing the work. And it's like, okay, you're going to be a really highly paid ACD because you're going to continue to, to increase your pay, mm. but they don't want to do that other job. And I, I love that. I'm like, that is great because I want people who have you know, the right skill set for every job. It's, it's similar to the, the folks I've met who just, who actually just love very high-end retouching finished art. And yeah. they're, they're a very important cog in the machine of, of the, the bigger, you know, engine room. And uh, just as important as, as the idea from the beginning because it's part of it being uh, brought to life, that idea. It puts a lot of pressure on making sure that you have the CDs are the right type of people, mm. right? Because what, what makes that system the way it is is because you have CDs, a lot of them come with a lot of ego and just like, I'm going to be in charge now. Yeah. And that's like, eh, versus, oh, my role is just different. You know, I kind of equate everything to, um, to lifting a, 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 moving a piano, which is like, I think in humanity, it's like one of the worst things you ever have to do. If, if you have a friend who's moving and they have a piano, you're like always sick that day. You know? You're like, screw that. But the only way you can move a piano is if everybody involved gets around it and, uh, and pretty much lifts where they stand. And that's how you do it. You know, so there's, 
So it doesn't matter, you know, a CD has a very particular job. I don't really look at them as the boss mm. of people, but they're, they, they're, you know, steering that ship, but everybody on that ship is doing a critical, uh, a critical job. So it, yeah. it takes the whole thing to get figured out. But when you're in a world where it's super hierarchy driven, it's like, it kind of screws up the process a little bit. I think it's, it's great insight for the listeners, uh, from, uh, a, a, um, you know, you've been a credit director uh, in the past in, in many other agencies and now a, a chief creative officer. I think it's important for listeners to know the difference um, mm-hmm. because so often I see uh, a lot of people coming out of the gates, graduating, and they're calling themselves creative directors. Um, and it could do them a disservice. And it's better that there is some honesty there on on the the level and experience required for such a title. Um, we had on, the, I, I interviewed, uh, David Lee, the, uh, chief creative officer of Squarespace and very similar thing. He said that you just said, and he was talking about how the role of a creative director is also about knowing when to push ideas or when to, when to pull them back. Yeah. Um, and it's, there's something in there, there's a tension in that, um, when, when you dilute it down, it's really the mix of the, the, what can we do with the budget? How many people do we have on deck resources? Um, using what, what you can with what you have and, and delivering for, uh, a solution, uh, to the brief. I mean, you, you are, you are, as a creative director, you are, I don't like to say you're in charge, you're responsible. And if you're irresponsible, you can never really be in charge, but you're responsible. So, that's so one of the things that I, I tell, I have 19 creative directors here, um, across all of our offices. Wow. Might actually be more than that. My math isn't, no, I think it is across all the offices. Eh, it's 20. Um, and I, that's what I say to them is like, understand what this job is. You're responsible for the value and career path of the folks who work in your group. You're responsible for the, relationship of the client with the client. So you, it's not something you just pass off to account management. Mm. You're like, you're responsible for that. Obviously responsible for the quality of the work. Um, and, uh, and that means you better know budgets, you better know timelines, all those things. So it's really, um, you know, and, and to what you said earlier about like, I've seen that too a lot where it's like, Hey, I'm coming out. I'm just starting. I'm a creative director. It's like, I don't know what you mean by that. Because I think you you have to know, like I said, there is a place where it's like people either want this responsibility and want this job or like it or are good at it or they're not. And I don't think that's a problem. I don't think that's someone better than the other. It just, but you can't get to that fork in the road until you've really, really been, you know, discovered your talent and been successful and added value in whatever your discipline is, whether mm-hmm. it's a writer, designer, or, or art director. So I see that a lot too. A lot of people are like, hey, I want to put CD on my title really quickly. Um, I would also say don't rush to that. Mm. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it comes with a lot more sleepless nights. It comes with a lot more stress. Uh, sometimes, the, the, you know, the, the further up that particular path you go, the more you're like, man... I remember that. I just want that. Well, I got a couple briefs and I'm just writing ideas <laughs> and like thinking of stuff. And because actually the farther you get up that chain, you're, the more your day is spent with just problems. Mm. That's 90% of no, my I, job. This is great that you're saying this. 90% of my job. I only get called when there's a problem. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? Like, especially at a company this size where I really got to like hire the right people and get out of their way. I'm not a micromanager. I don't believe in, in, in a system of approvers. Mm. So like a CD doesn't go to a GCD to get approval and they don't get, go to me to get approval, but that's pretty common in the world. I just think that's inefficient. I'd rather hire like super solid people and be here to serve them. So it's less of approval, more of like, how can I help you? But you have to make that call. I'm over here ready. But yeah, so when the phone rings, it's usually, hey, there's a problem or clients upset or this and that. So it's, yeah, don't be too eager to... Yeah. I've been, uh, for the listeners, I've been nodding my head nonstop. Um, <laughs> I think I pulled a muscle just in, in agreeance with Steve. Uh, so Steve, uh, can you share to us a little bit about your childhood and, and how you grew up? Yeah. What was I, that like? I, uh, I grew up in a very small town in uh, southern Idaho called Jerome. Um, I don't know how many people there are now, but there were maybe 4,000 when I grew up. Uh, we had like one stoplight, like where wow. the two main street, it was like right in the middle of town was one stoplight. And I was there, I was born there and lived there for 19 years till I left to go to go to school. So like, um, that's all I knew was just a small Idaho farming town. And, um, you know, it was weird because I was, I was the baby of five kids. So I'm the, I'm, I have three older brothers and an old, and one older sister and my dad was a surgeon, um, but he was like the surgeon, like doc Back for the yeah, like it was for just the town. He, for the whole surrounding area. Yeah, it was like oh doc, you know. So um, that's it was, handy. It was yeah. So I never had gone to the doctor before until <laughs> I moved out of my house. Like whenever I would like, my dad would give me stitches in the bathroom if I broke my head open or whatever. Oh my but gosh. it was kind of a weird dynamic of to be in such a rural kind of farm community. But I was sort of a city kid because we lived in the town and my dad was a surgeon. So, um, and, uh, I'd really, we had, it was a really creative family. All of my mm. siblings, maybe outside of my sister, although she hears this, she'll get offended by that. Um, she was creative in her own way, but my three older brothers were just really, really creative always, whether it's art or music. And um, were you the youngest? I was the youngest. Yeah. Okay. I was the baby. So there there's three go. older brothers, then a sister, then me. So I just kind of always, like we were the first people in the town to have like a Super 8 camera and then a video camera. And we were always making movies and stop motion claymation, all these things, which was kind of weird in that little town where that didn't exist. So I don't know where that came from, whether, you know, we were like the first family to get MTV, like, you know, and everyone would come over to our house to watch it. So uh, just sort of a kind of an interesting trend setting in, in a little teeny pocket yeah. of America, but um, that's very cool. Man. As a little kid, I mean, I all of my influences, I just drew them from my brothers. Like, right. you know, my one brother was the the um, DJ at a radio station, so he had all the music anyone could ever want. You know, and of course, I think we got the hits like three years after the rest <laughs> of the world. Like after something had gone out of LA or New York, they send it to Idaho, so we're like a year behind on everything. But that's awesome. Yeah. So when we fast track to you leaving uh, university or, or college, mm-hmm. um, you, you and I have had very similar um, beginnings, I guess, uh, in our careers. Uh, we both started our careers working in the mailroom. Yeah. Uh, I started in the mailroom at Ogilvy and Mather over 12 years ago now. How was your experience and how did the role benefit you in the long run? Well... 
I, I mean, it benefited me in the long run because I'm here. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I didn't ever, you know, growing up in that small town, I guess I didn't really think of advertising as a job. I wanted to be a movie director. Wow. Right? Because that's what we did. I made all these little movies. In fact, if you go to the Jerome Public Library, they probably don't have them anymore, but maybe you can check out our VHS. Like we would make movies and have the library make it so you could check them out. Wow. I don't think anyone's ever checked any of them out, but they were there. Um, but that was what I wanted to do. So I went to the University of Utah and was like, I'm going to go in the film department, you know, but, um, so I'm just taking kind of my general classes and a friend, I needed a job, was like, there's a great job at, you know, friend of a friend works at this big ad agency. It was a Euro RSCG yeah, yeah. agency. And, and it was like flexible hours. It's like, cool, mailroom, kind of odd job, perfect for college. So I got that job for that. And then when I'm there, I'm like, this is kind of cool, like super creative people. Oh, they make ads. They make kind of mini movies and this and that and this. Um, obviously, I, be, I, I became really familiar with everybody because I passed their mail out every day. You know, it's like, oh, you're the guy who gets these magazine subscriptions. Okay, you're this person. And just naturally was a very social person and got to know everybody. And in doing so, I learned, man, I want to do this, I think. And I start, it felt more, um, um, I don't even know what the word is. It felt like it was more possible than mm-hmm. becoming like a real movie director. Sure. I started to realize that like, okay, that's, that's kind of a hard job to get and to be successful, but maybe I can make ads. Uh, and so in long, in, you know, I just, uh, I befriended an art director there who at night would let me, because uh, the mailroom computer didn't have Photoshop. I think it was like Photoshop 4, mm-hmm. the one where when you typed, you, you couldn't undo. It was like, type <laughs> is set, you're done. It wasn't layers. Um, and uh, so at night, I would just hang there and, you know, build like a fake portfolio, yeah. basically. And Well, that's the cool thing, right? You're exposed and you get, yeah. you get uh, a taste of, of everything. Um, now, what would you say to those that aren't sure which area of design or creativity to specialize in? You know, it's a good question. Um, it's a good question because when I first got into this, you know, there was a, at that agency, the, the, how I made the twist is they, they had a big scholarship contest and because I wasn't a salaried employee, it was for all the students I could enter. And so I did. So I stayed late at night and built up like a portfolio of fake ads and submitted it. Um, I won that, wow. which was cool. And then at that same meeting, they were like, we want to give you a job as a, as a junior copywriter. And, but I, I thought my book was an art direction submission, but I just never specified. So I just went with it. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and since then I've held copywriting jobs, but have always, um, flexed a, a decent art direction muscle, um, you know, whatever. But so what I would say is like, so I didn't know. I just took the thing that was and went with it. And I would, I would kind of say that. I would say maybe if you have the desire and you have the talent, um, I wouldn't waste so much time trying to figure out your perfect plan unless it's in front of you. And you but I would just go for something and let like the environment and the setting can kind of mold you a little bit and you're going to learn every day, no matter what path you take. So that would be, I would say, get off the fence and realize you can always jump on the other side whenever you want, but like go. The only way you can really make a good decision about yourself is while you're in motion. Yeah. Solid advice. I, um, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, now let's talk about some professional achievements you've accomplished. There's two I want to talk about. The first is the Domino's pizza tracker. Yeah. 
For the listeners, can you talk about the problem you had to solve here and how this solution came about? You know, that one's interesting um, because, yeah, it, this, I'm glad you asked this question because no one ever really asked this, you know, and it's like it came up from a very particular problem we had to I, solve. I do my research. So, <laughs> so Domino's came to us. Uh, this was in a former life um, when I lived in Colorado. Um, they came to us and, and said, hey, and maybe this was like 09, 10, I don't know. Eight, somewhere it was. I think it was '09, and they, and that was back when they were like, "Hey, we need a campaign to get more people to order Domino's pizza online." So this was when that was a behavior that that a lot of the the industry wanted, and obviously that was because it, it was cheaper, right? I didn't have to pay a person to answer the phone; it was automated, um, and also that would it would it would uh, decrease like the chance for error, like a, someone listening, taking the wrong order down because you're doing it. But the biggest thing was it increased the average ticket price. So online, well, uh, uh, you know, I'm calling and the kid answers because they're usually just younger kids. They're not going to probably try to upsell me on breadsticks or whatever. But online, I'm making my pizza and then I go to checkout and there's all these beautiful pictures of like delicious stuff. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to add breadsticks, blah, blah, blah. So there's a whole reason like the more people we can get to order online, the better our business is going to be in the long run. And at the time, you know, the, the common thing to do would be like, oh, we'll make everything a dollar off online, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, and, and, and it's like, that's kind of what everyone was doing. And we were just like, man, is there a way to get people to do this without giving our stuff away, without discounting it? Um, and simultaneously, I was going through pizza school, which is something that is required of any manager at Domino's. Uh, it's a two-week process. You literally, I know how to manage a Domino's store and make all the pizzas and all that. I probably don't need more, but and it's all about speed. The whole organization, at least at that time, was like speed, 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 fast, fast delivery, boom, 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 get it out there. And while I'm doing this, um, I learned that there's the order taker. They take the order enter it into the system, and they hit a button. There was a physical, like a little button at their station. Then there's the prep station where I'm manning the prep station, and I see the order, roll out the dough, put the da-da-da, put all the right ingredients on it, hit a button, it goes into the oven. Now, the oven is like six minutes, so it's the so same. So this was before the pizza tracker yes. existed. Yes, so yeah, yeah. essentially they were triggers. All, yeah, all this stuff existed. And then, of course, they, they, they came out of the oven, the guy boxes it up, hits a button, delivers it, comes back and hits a button, and then it splits that difference. You know, it's like, okay. And I was like, that's cool. And they're like, yeah, everybody does this. And it was, it was how the management of every store got bonused. It was all about like, man, this store is the fastest. And right. I'm like, so all this info exists? Every store in the world you know? I'm like, why? Why in the world don't you make that a thing where if I order online, I can track my pizza? And... um and that's kind of where that started. And, uh, and then we made that. So originally it was only an order online, but it got so popular really quickly. We had to make it to where you could also enter your phone number if you called. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, that's where it came from. That's cool. And then you, of course you were the first to market and then you leveraged all that. Um, that's amazing. Uh, the second piece of work I, I wanted to talk to you about was the hugely impactful red thumb reminder. Oh, yes. How did this idea spring to mind? So, uh, well, now that I live in New York, I don't ever drive anymore, so I don't, I don't have to worry about it. But um, when I was in Colorado, uh, you know, I mean, I, the reality is just, I was horrible. I would always text and drive. Mm-hmm. It was just like bad habit. And, you know, nothing bad will happen to me because I'm a really good driver. And I'm in, you know, rural Colorado and blah, blah, blah. And I'm mindful of this. 
And then I, I did have a, a close friend of my wife's lost an uncle um, due to uh, someone who was texting and driving. It was actually an older woman. There was always the stereotype that it's teenagers, but it was an older woman. It was just, you know, it was really... So I remember that kind of stuck in my head a little. And I started to think about it a little bit more. And at that time, like AT&T was putting out these really moving films, like The the Last Text. I don't know if you remember those. And, and I'm watching all this advertising about this problem and I'm in advertising, and I see these things being shared with me, and I feel them, and I'm like, holy cow, share this. Holy, this is a bad problem as I drive away texting, or worse, probably watching it on my phone. As a, you know, And I'm like, why? This is weird. Like We're, advertise, we're trying to advertise this problem away. And uh, so it was in my head, and then I was picked up my daughter. I have a 12-year-old daughter, so at the time, this was a few years ago, um, and she had a, a, a little, um, I picked her up from school, and she had her yarn tied around her finger, and I asked her what it was for, and um, her teacher did that to all the students because they had to get a reading log signed, and if they all got it signed, they had a pizza party. So that was how the teacher understood it wasn't an awareness problem. The teacher knew that everybody in that class wanted pizza. There was no education on that. It was universal, understood, we want pizza. What she knew was it was going to be a, a behavior problem at the point of when that kid went home and saw their parent. They wouldn't remember to do this. It had nothing to do with the fact that they... So I was like thinking about it as I was driving. And of course, my phone buzzed and I looked at, and I had it in my hand. And at that moment, I saw my thumb. When you hold your phone, it like sits over your screen. And I was just like, huh, I wonder if I... And I had a red Sharpie in my car. And I was like, I wonder if I... Uh, I got an idea. I'm going to just color my thumbnail red and that way, whenever I pick up my phone, I'll see it just like that. It'll remind me in the moment mm. of my phone that I, need to, that I need to put that down. And of course, the red Sharpie, I wouldn't recommend doing because it like wears off. It doesn't stick to your fingernail. It gets all over your clothes. And then I got home and I went to my wife and I got some red nail polish and I painted my nail red. She's like, what are you doing? Like, I'm just going to see if this works for me. I want to see if this is the thing that, gets, that works for me, this super uh, kind of addicted to the phone guy. And uh, it Totally did. Yeah. Like, like you had way. to, you had to like, if I lifted it up, I, and if it was something important, it was this weird internal struggle because I'd be like, oh, I'm seeing that I shouldn't be doing this, but I, okay, let me pull over because I want to take this call or do whatever. But that wasn't what was the most surprising thing to me was, you know, it immediately worked. I would have to make mm-hmm. a conscious decision to ignore right. it, which I couldn't do because I'm like, well, no, I, it would, it, at that moment, I would be reminded. That's why I came up with the term red thumb reminder. It was like all of this work and advertising and stuff that's been going on. It's like it would remind me of that and go, okay, don't do this. But what was awesome about it is is I'm just around town. Everyone would ask me about it because it's peculiar. It's like, why is that? And then I would tell them. I'm like, oh, it's a little thing I do to do this. That's amazing. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I was in a store and a wife was with her husband and they were all talking about it. And the wife had nail polish. And so she painted her husband's nail right there. And I was like, wait a minute. This is kind of viral. This could be a thing. Yeah. So I'm like, let me make just a little video about it, make a simple site, give it a name, and just post it out on Facebook, and then it just blew up. I know the uh, the videos on your uh, uh, portfolio uh, Mm -hmm. website. Uh, Is that website still up? Redthumbreminder.com, yeah. There you go. It's still there. I don't really do much with it, and that was kind of the point. It was just open source. In fact, a bunch of like splinter groups have formed. I just put all the stuff, I put all the graphics, everything just on a site. It was like, Take it, do whatever you want with this stuff. It's not like a money maker. Um, there's a really big group called My Red Thumb that's that uh, spawned in Europe, and they're they. I love to see they're still really wow. going at it. And you know, at some point, I think what would be really great is if somebody who's passionate about it. Uh, I'd love to actually just 
give them the reins to read them reminder. I just, I've kind of doing other things, but um, yeah. That, so if anyone's listening and wants it, let me know. <laughs> there you go. Call, call to action. Um, when it comes to idea generation and thinking about creative concepts, what ideas can you give to listeners to ideate faster? Oh, you know, I've had, I've, uh, I've been, I've been, I've been asked a version of this question a lot. Like, how do you come up with ideas or what's the trick? I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, one thing that I've found is, um, and I'll screw this up. I, I should probably look this up. I always quote Albert Einstein, but I'm not even 100% sure he said this or anything, anything close to this. But my paraphrase is, the longer you spend on understanding the problem, the less time you spend on the solution because it usually just presents itself. So I would, it sounds Einsteinian, doesn't Perfect. it? Perfect. Um, but like, so I would say, you know, don't be so quick when you, when you get a brief or, or when you're told like, here's the thing we're trying to solve. Don't be so quick to go, I'm going to try to find the solution right away. I'm going to go off and come up with a million ideas. Spend more time going like, why is that a problem? Is that the right problem? What about this? What about, I mean, and I've just spend all your time trying to identify the thing that your creative is supposed to solve. Mm. And usually in that experience, you'll unearth something that's like, oh, duh. Almost questioning the source. Yeah. yeah. And then you're like, oh, that's the thing. Boom. So I find it's faster to focus on the problem than the solution. I love that. Uh, and this really ties into intuition as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that word gets thrown around a lot when it comes to executing, whether it's in user experience design, interaction, service design, even placement of an ad. Uh, how do you think people can improve their intuition? Um, I think the biggest thing is just to be a practitioner. Mm. In our industry, we have so many people who don't use. Mm. Totally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. Especially today, right? Where it's like, I mean, I was, I was somewhere the other day and people were making fun of me for being so active on Musical.ly, um, which I get because that's such a young, I'm like, well, you know, it does feel weird but, and I don't follow anybody except my daughter, but like I, that's a powerful platform. Totally. And I can't rely on just my intuition because guess what? My intuition is going to be a lot different potentially than my daughter and her friends. I mean, this, this, particular platforms, that's getting down to like first graders. Mm-hmm. And uh, their brains are very different than mine, you know? So it's like, well, let me just get in there and experience it. And so, I mean, I think intuition in, in experience design uh, is all about like, don't rely on intuition. Mm. Like be a super practitioner and a user and then and then you, then your intuition is less intuition and more like, oh, here's how more it's done. More experience. Yeah. Yeah. Now, here's the big one. What's it like working with the hustle king himself, Gary Vaynerchuk? <laughs> Boom. You know, uh, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. So I didn't know of him um, about this time last year. Uh, I'd never heard of VaynerMedia. I'd never heard of wow. Gary. Um, That's probably why you got hired. You're like, who are you again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well I, was, I was in Colorado and I was... I was uh, I was had some plans. I was going to start a little agency with a really good friend of mine. And um, anyway, he had a recruiter. Somehow they reached out to me and I just was instantly like, I'm not interested in New York. No, no thanks, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But that guy was persistent. So finally I'm like, okay, I'll meet this guy. You know, I don't know who he is. So I watched a video of him and I was, I was, and I've told him this story we laugh about, but I was just like, what? This guy is insane. Like, there's no way we're going to like hit it off. Like I've just, he, <laughs> I've gotten a headache. Like he's just like so crazy. I got tired watching a video. 
Um, and we met, and it was it was really it was probably one of the better conversations I've ever had. Wow! Because I couldn't wrap my head around what is normally the the dichotomy of someone who's as successful and um, self-centered, but not in a negative way. I don't even, I don't know the positive way to say that, but focused, self-focused sure, and successful. Sure, and so, certain of what he wants. And that's usually at the expense of other people. Mm. Folks usually step on people to get there. But I'm, I'm, I was here, I'm sitting with this guy that's like, wait, he genuinely cares about me. I can feel it in this first meeting. And he cares a lot about people and his people but he's successful. I'm like, I can't, my brain doesn't compute that very well. So I walked out of that meeting and I remember my wife called because it was supposed to be just to like, go get this over with so they leave you alone. And, and uh, she's like, didn't even ask about it. She's like, hey, when, you know, would you pick up some milk on the way home? And I'm like, hey, this meeting was really awesome. She's like, wait, what? No, we're not moving to New York. I was like, I don't know. Um, and anyway, so then you think, okay, let me give this a try. So flash forward like eight months later and I was like, okay, I'll start, I'll, I'll come out here. And then there's the like, and let's see how he really is. Right. right. Give it time. And that's how he really is. Um, he works harder than any CEO I've ever worked with. Definitely. I mean, by, he works harder than most anybody <laughs> in the world. But, but again, it's that love of people, you know? Because I think my fear was like, eh, I, don't, I can't keep up with this. I have no desire to keep up with this. My hustle is a different hustle. Mm-hmm. My hustle is literally... My, mine is... So I can get home at a decent hour and have dinner with my kids. That that's and 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 so I was worried a little about that because I I Fair worked enough, at Crispin yeah. for many years and didn't have a Christmas for you know like I get the I get the industry and I'm like and it's uh, it's unbelievable it's inspirational it and so on that note would would you have defined that up front saying that um, or or is it those expectations of you I just. Uh, no, I didn't really ask that question because I also, at this point in my career, I'm like, I kind of can define how I work. I just was more like, what, what are you trying to accomplish sure. in this position? Mm-hmm. This, 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 and I got it. But it was in meeting some of the other folks before I started and was like, oh, okay. I see. Not, okay, I got it. Like the whole company isn't going to bed at four in the morning and getting, or one in the morning and getting up at four and getting on a plane and flying to Australia for five <laughs> minutes and then flying back and like... I'm like, all right, just he does that. That's crazy. But it is awesome. It is so amazing to have that person be kind of the signature of what this agency's founded on. So unique. Um, yeah. And my job is really to, uh, to help build a creative offering mm. that can, um, that can like keep up, not keep up with that, but that, that can fulfill that promise. Totally. Because we're out there going like, we can make stuff twice as good and half the time for half the cost and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, it's easy to say that stuff, but to have a huge machine like we do be able to do that, that's really what the, the opportunity is. So That's so special. It, in short, it's awesome. I mean, he's, there's always the people, you know, whenever someone's a public persona, there's the like, eh, mm-hmm. he's snake oil salesman or da, da, da. He's legit. Yeah. Like a hundred percent. Gary, if you're listening, this is uh... a... <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, su- super, super important. I think even even uh, c- coming from Sydney Australia and, and uh, the the level with which he is uh, deploying content out there um, affects a lot of people and, and myself included in, in a big, big way. A couple more questions for you, Steve. Uh, I asked this of all my guests. If you could travel back in time for 30 seconds and speak to junior Steve Babcock, uh, perhaps a Steve finishing high school, what would you tell him? Oh, uh, 
Well, this probably won't be all philosophical. Uh, I would tell him to go to major in computer science. Wow. There you go. I really, if I could, go, you know, everyone's always like, no regrets. No, if I could go back in time, I would be, I would have learned how to code. Wow. And, you know, the Gary V part of me is like, you could still do it. Dedicate half your day to this. And I'm like, eh, no, I'm not going to get it. I feel like, you know. Um, but like, man, that to me, if I would have known then how much power and ability in, in creation in today's world that would be, like, to understand that language and to be able to code, because I'm always, it's not a shortage of like ideas, like, oh, this would be a great app, or this would be a really awesome service and a, and a site to make, and da 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 And I would just wish that I could be so, I wish I could just make that stuff. Yeah. That would be my, my hustle, my side hustle. So, um, yeah, I, I think I, about I that a lot. Like, I agree with dang. you to a large degree on that, just because of the, the, language with which um, that is required yeah. right now um, and and beyond um, and the capability of like not just being able to code but I guess it also affects your ideas yeah. your ideas change because you know what's possible so mate love that who has been an impactful giant thinker in your life Steve you know that person that has inspired you to think bigger and dig deeper in helping you reach your full potential you know, I've been super fortunate. Like I've been able to work with so many really amazing people, uh, you know, who have all kind of given me certain pieces. Mm. Um, I, I would say for me, um, professionally, like, I'll, you know, professionally, of course, yeah. cause outside of that, I'd just be like, oh yeah, my brothers, my dad, kind of the basics. But, um, professionally, uh, it's a guy named Andrew Keller who uh, is now the chief creative officer at Facebook. Wow. Um, cool. He's here in New York, but th- we worked together at Crispin. So he was my, my boss there. Uh, later became the CEO of Crispin, but, um, which was interesting because he came from, a, from an art site. So he was a creative that became a CEO. But he, uh, I don't think he really even knows this. Um, and anything I say that's smart today, like I, I just heard him say at some point, like I don't know how to explain how he did it, but like, he would always take an idea that I may have and just illuminate like the other layer of the building that I wasn't even thinking of. Like he had this way to be like, oh, what about this and this? Holy cow. So he was just so smart. He had a really good memory. Um, was it just a really good person, like fun to be around, really inspirational. Mentored you. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I can easily look back and just be like, that guy put had more impact and continues today. I love that we both moved to New York so we can still see each other because we were both in Colorado with our families. Um, just more impact on me than I can. I'm still trying to figure out, but I just know one thing is like anytime there's something smart that comes out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, I stole that from Andrew. Like every time, you know? So, so cool, man. So what's next for you and everything you're involved in for the rest of the year and beyond? Um, you know, right now I'm just kind of like, you know, I mean, personally, there's all kinds of stuff in, in upheaval. My family still lives in Colorado. We're still trying to figure out how to get out here. So there's all that stuff. Um, but right now, I think I'm so excited about, and one of the main reasons I decided to come to VaynerMedia, because a lot of people would be like, wait, you went from like the Crispin world to VaynerMedia? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. It's because here was this place built by a real entrepreneur who is used modern media to be able to become that person. Here's like a super practitioner. Mm. There's never been one more than him, you know, who's built this 
based on the understanding of how to use uh, the platforms of today, where the attention is to drive business results. And he's created a, a system, a company that gets, so I'm like, wait, so in short, in my little Idaho brain, I'm like, you've got, you figured out the science of marketing better than anybody mm. in today's world. Well, imagine if like we also could figure out the emotional hook of, of the creative part and bring those two together. Like there won't be another, like this place will be unbelievable. And, and so for me, I got really hooked with that challenge by like, let's go do this. And, mm. and of course, then there's just the culture aspect, the general love of people and treating people right. Okay. That's on all the pieces were there. Mm. Um, so for me, it's really about going from a, an agency that is really good at filling a media buy, like really good. Like, okay, the media buy is we're going to do these Facebook carousel units and this video, da, da, da. We know how to maximize you know, those spaces better than anybody. And we're going to optimize based on feedback and ch- all that stuff to go to a place that's like coming up with work that transcends that media buy. Like, so I'm getting really, really, really excited. It's just continuing to elevate our creative product. Um, and I do that through training and experience, but also a lot of new hires. So really bringing some other, but you got to be really careful with that because we're such a delicate, we're such an interesting thing where I'm like, Okay, I want to bring in a leader or you know a creative from a, an, from a place that understands really the idea of like big creative thinking, but they've got to understand what we're trying to build here. So they don't, I don't, I don't want someone to come in and go like, yeah, I want to make this like a big TV producing dinosaur agency. It's like uh, they got to tie into the It's vision. really challenging to find those people who get that creative, the value of creativity and big ideas, but that are like so. Excited. It's kind of what happened to me when I saw this. I was just like, that is it. And uh, so it's hard to find those people. It's like the alignment of the, the mission, the vision, the culture. Yeah. Um, rather than own agenda. But if the, own, if the agenda matches, yeah. you're cooking with gas. So that's, that's super cool, man. Uh, I, I love how you guys are just going from strength to strength. So, uh, Steve, how can listeners get in touch with you online? Um, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm on, I'm super active. So most of my online handles, <laughs> I don't even know where I invented this, is Steve Happens. Yes, um, I noticed that. So <laughs> that's your website as well, right? Yeah. It, it's like my, yeah. Dot com? <laughs> Stevehappens.com or Steve Happens on Instagram. The only one, and then if it's not, like Facebook was Steve Babcock. So it'll either be the two, but that was because... I wanted to secure, remember when Facebook, when it, you didn't have a vanity URL years ago and when they announced it, like you stayed up late at night oh my God, as if yeah. there was another Steve Babcock, but I just had to get my name in there. So I got it. Um, or, uh, and then Snapchat for some reason, Steve happens is not available, but no one's using it. So I'm like, so I'm Babco snaps on that, but which bums me out. Cause I'm like, <laughs> you're like brand consistency. I got one that's, yeah. And I'm like, you know what? We have relationships over there at Snapchat. One of these days I got to give them a call and right. be like, can I have my own name? Why is this not available? So I'm sure that can happen. Um, and Twitter, uh, Twitter is Steve happens Steve as happens. well. All and right. if it's not, it's Steve Babcock. Sorry. I should know these things. It's one or the other, <laughs> but, um, no, that's great. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, uh, I'm sure the uh, audience will be hitting you up. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for your time, mate, and uh, being generous in sharing your story uh, with all of us. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Oh, no, this was awesome. Thanks for thinking of me. I really appreciate it. 
There you go, Giants. I hope you enjoyed that. This is what I love about the show, the ability to dive deep into the wisdom and experience of experts like Steve for all to be nourished. It's a win-win for everyone. A sneak peek onto the next episode, we have an all-star female guest of the design, education, and podcasting world lined up. She is an icon, a pioneer, and a breath of fresh air. Stay tuned for that one. If you haven't already, I invite you to sign up to the free mailing list on giantthinkers.com and you'll get an email from me when each episode gets released. Before you race off, as mentioned at the beginning, I highly recommend you check out Mailer Light, especially if you're a freelancer or a small business owner. I believe it's the best solution for your email marketing needs. Apart from all the features you'll ever want, what I personally think sets MailerLite ahead of the rest is their impeccable customer service. They are lightning fast when it comes to getting back to any question you may have, and it feels like you have another team member on board. Head to MailerLite.com, that's MailerLite.com, to try out their service for free. That's a wrap, Giants. I'll leave you with a quote that I loved from Steve who said, if you have the desire and the talent, don't waste time on the perfect plan. You'll learn every day, no matter what path you take. Get off the fence. You can always jump back on the other side whenever you want. Just go. 